Hello, my friends. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition Podcast, which is brought to you by the Goldfish Walker. Yes, why should man's best friend get all the attention, benefits from a healthy, active lifestyle, and free vitamin D? Now with Goldfish Walker, you can show all of your friends that you can swim against the current as you proudly walk down the lane, coming soon to an imagination near you. In all seriousness, this podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon, or, on occasion, a a sermon from another Wells Sister Church. Today's meditation is titled, The Sixth Hour and is based upon a reading from the Gospel as recorded by John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 26. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from, him, drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And now we join Pastor Zamzo for today's meditation. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. You come across uh, famous Bible stories or one that's, ones that you've heard a lot. Um, one thing that always strikes me is, is how, even though it's a familiar story, something new 
or, or something, a different aspect of it will jump out at you. And that happened to me this week as, as I was reviewing this, this story, this very famous account of, of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. I don't, can't tell uh, or enumerate for you how many times in my life uh, as a Lutheran I've heard this story of Jesus speaking to this woman at the well. But as I was pondering the, the Word of God for this week and preparing the sermon, the one thing that really jumped out at me was the time of day. Um, in, in the English translation in the NIV that we uh, that we we just read, it just calls it what it is: noon. Uh, in the original, the Jews would have referred to it as the sixth hour. Why does the time of day matter so much in this story? What's the big deal? Uh, what's the point? Well, the sixth hour, noon, is the hottest part of the day. And this is where we meet Jesus. We see him sitting at the side of the well. The disciples have gone into town uh, to buy food, and the Lord is at the well, and he looks maybe more of a, uh, a mess than he normally would have. You picture him sitting there. Um, maybe there was a bench or, or something that was, that, was, that was put up there by that well. And he's, he's hot, he's tired, dripping sweat, dusty, he's dirty from, from the road. And it's the absolute heat of the day. Why does the sixth hour matter? Who does Jesus meet there at the sixth hour? There's this woman that comes out. Horrible time of the day to do what she's doing. She's got to fill up these water jugs. You hear her complain about it a little bit later. You know, give me what you what what uh, give me this water so that I don't have to keep doing this. It's hot. She doesn't want to be there. It's hard work lugging these jugs of water back back and forth back from the well back to the house. And she's there at the sixth hour. She's there at noon. The desert heat is just baking down on them. Why is she out there at this time with nobody around but Jesus? It doesn't take us long to figure out why. It doesn't take us long to figure out why the sixth hour matters. This particular Samaritan woman is out there at Jacob's well at this lonely hour for no other reason other than that she's a social outcast. She's a homewrecker, a lady of ill repute. We find that out in verses 16 to 18. She had a long list of broken marriages. She had wrecks of homes, a laundry list of mistakes, guilt piled upon guilt, piled upon guilt. And she's out there at the sixth hour, noon, in the heat of the day, not in the morning, not in the cool of the day when everybody else would go to do the hard work and the manual labor. She's out there in the heat of the day to escape the judgmental eyes of her peers the other women of her village who would surely look at her and sneer at her and gossip. And there she is out there by herself in a moment of peace, trying to get away from others in the quiet of her own mind to exist in just for a couple of moments in the clarity that often manual labor can bring. And she's out there not expecting to see a soul. She's out there to get away. But who does she meet? but Jesus. Great. A Jew. And I'm a Samaritan. 
And he's a man to boot. So what now? Am I going to get judged for my race? Is he's going to is he going to uh, is he going to snicker down at me because I'm I'm a Samaritan? You know, put yourself in that situation. In the ancient world, you have a man uh, alone with a woman. Is he going to sneer at her or is he going to leer at her? Imagine how vulnerable she must have felt out there in the heat of the day all by herself at that lonely hour. But the Lord Jesus breaks the silence. He breaks the awkward situation and He puts her completely off guard in a really good way with one simple question. With a few simple words, Jesus lets her know that this conversation that they're about to have is different than anything that she's ever experienced before. And he begins simply by saying, will you give me a drink? How's that for breaking barriers? Back in that day and age, a man didn't just speak to a woman. That was a no-no. And on top of it, as it's mentioned in the text, Jews don't associate with Gentiles. They're, they're people that are, are opposed to one another. Jews, as Normally, Jews would go all the way around the, 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 the land of the Samaritans. They'd take the long way around rather than dirty their feet with the dust of that place. But yet here Jesus is. He's there. He's breaking these barriers down. A man speaking to a woman. A Jew speaking to a Samaritan. Things unheard of. And he lets her know that he's not there to sneer at her. He's not there to leer at her. He's not afraid of being in the same presence as her. He's not afraid of, uh, of touching the same ladle of water or the same pail of water and being made ceremonially unclean. And she is totally taken aback by this simple question. Will you give me a drink? She responds, how can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus uses the question, not to draw water, but to draw her. She wouldn't have said a thing to him. She would have walked away. She would have passed off the rest of her day. She would have just lugged those water jugs back home and not said another thing to him. But out of compassion, out of grace, out of mercy, Jesus begins to draw for her not water, but the water of life. The water of the Word. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she doesn't get it. Not quite yet, anyway. She still thinks he's talking about physical water. You've got nothing to draw with, sir. And this well is deep. She's not picking up what Jesus is putting down. And it's more likely she's just simply avoiding the topic at hand because Jesus' words are painfully obvious that he's not talking about regular old water that's coming out of that well. If you knew the gift of God, he said, and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She knows that he wants to have a spiritual conversation with her, but she's not sure she wants to have it. Because if she's afraid of the judgmental eyes of her peers, and she's going out there at the sixth hour in the heat of the day to escape being around the other women who would sneer at her, 
How do you think she felt in the eyes of God knowing what she has done? Knowing the guilt that she would have to face if she were to stand in front of the Lord? Yet Jesus masterfully redirects this whole situation. He shows His omnipotence and He shows how this guilt that plagues her. He uses her thirst in the heat of the day almost as an illustration. To say, you have a greater thirst. You have a greater thirst than the fact that it's hot out today. You have a greater thirst than the physical thirst. You have a spiritual thirst. And it's in fact the very reason why you are out here drawing water at the sixth hour alone. And so Jesus uses a jab of God's holy law to bring this woman to her senses. I'm not skirting around the topic here. I'm not, I'm not beating around the bush. We're going to have this spiritual conversation whether you like it or not. And Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And now here we are at the heart of the issue. The source of her spiritual thirst Go call your husband. Might as well have been. Be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. She says, I have no husband. And literally, in the original, when Jesus responds to her, He simply says, well said. In other words, good confession. You've just stated in a nutshell why you are here by yourself. You've accurately summarized why you are here alone at the sixth hour. You have no husband. And by observing this Samaritan woman in this situation at the well, what we should see is our own reflection in the water, so to speak. We don't, like this woman, we don't have a right to claim that we're God's chosen people by race or by merit or by blood lineage. Now, like this woman, we'd just as soon rush off into, a, uh, into a, a lifetime of sin trying to gratify the desires of the flesh or many, the measure, many pleasures of the quote-unquote good life or the real life or real living. We chase after lust and pleasure or wealth or acceptance from our peers. Now, like this woman, we also have a desire that when we do sin, that we want to try to hide it from God. We don't want to be judged for the things that we've done wrong. We think that we can hide these things in the sixth hour of our life and push them to the side where God won't see it and nobody else will see it. How foolish it is to think that we can hide our sin or our guilt from God. And like this woman and like this situation at the well, it's often in those sixth hour moments when we are feeling that guilt that this is where Jesus meets us. He meets us like He met that woman. And He breaks down the barriers and forces us to see the reality of our sin, the reality of our guilt, and how it can't be hidden from Him. That just like it was with this woman at the well, she goes back into the village and she says, this, this man told me everything that I've ever done. And like that situation, Jesus can tell us everything. Jesus knows everything that we have ever done. the sixth hour of our lives. He comes to give us the spiritual water of life 
to quench the soul that's parched with shame and parched with guilt. And He does so to put our burdened consciences weary from from guilt to rest. He comes to dissolve any haunting doubts or fears that we have about where we stand with God. To show us that our thirst, our thirsty pursuit of things earthly is vain, empty, and meaningless. He comes to satisfy the deeper thirst. The thirst for eternal life. He comes to tell us that we're forgiven and that we need not hide from God in the sixth hour. But rather that He is the gift of God to us and for us. And that because of Him we can call God our Father. And we can call Him our brother. Jesus taught this woman at the well at the sixth hour that her greatest need was not some earthly physical thirst, but the spiritual thirst that was in her. The thirst for His Word. He calls her with the law to show her the reality of her sin. And He calls her and shows Himself as Messiah. When Messiah comes, He'll explain everything to us. And He stands there in front of her and basically says, I just did. I am He. I am He. He comes to give. He comes to satisfy the thirst for eternal life. He comes with His Gospel message and tells us that He's the Savior. As we hear in church every single week, we hear the reality of our sin. We hear the the reality of who we are. And then we are comforted with the Gospel message in the Word and in the sacrament. These things that are truly spiritual. These things that we need to hear every single week. Martin Luther put it best. He said, every week I preach preach salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. Why? Because every single week we forget it. We have a sinful world that infiltrates and gets into us and makes us want to think about 101 other things. And that's why we come back every single week. We come back every single week and center ourselves on the truth of God's Word. These things that are truly spiritual. The law and the Gospel. The only things that satisfy the spiritual thirst that's in us. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news or if you, you probably got a preview of this if you were in Bible study this morning. Um, but we've been, I, I, I've been watching this, um, the news and I've been hearing about this popular movement in America. Um, these, these revivals. Are you familiar with these? They're happening on college campuses and, and throughout campus ministries. And on the surface, it would seem like these are a good thing. But as a pastor and as a as a as a as as part of my profession, I, I feel it my duty to warn against this. Because when I see these revivals popping up, and it's it seems to be so popular. But when you hear and do some research and look into the nature of these revivals, basically it's like a prayer service that goes on for days, weeks. When you look into the nature of these revivals, it's all self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about my experience in the moment. And I have yet to see a single drop of spiritual truth 
come out of any of these things. If you watch the interviews, it's all about people saying, you know, well, the, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. God spoke to me. I had a feeling. I had an emotion. I had an experience. As we talked about in the children's lesson, your feelings, your emotions, all that stuff, that changes. God's Word is a rock. And it doesn't move. God's Word is not based on our emotions. God's Word stands alone on itself. And when I see these revivals going up and around the country, it just seems like it's, it's, it's supposed to be like the counter-argument. A gathering of people that's saying, hey, look, we can gather, call ourselves Christians, and we cannot destroy things. There always seems to be some sort of politically driven point to be made. It's always introspective. It's always about the experience and it's leading people to think that they found some sort of spiritual truth. And while these revivals might be popular, one thing that remains unpopular is that it's Jesus, uh, it's the cross of Christ that Jesus had to go to that cross because of you. He had to go to that cross because of me. I haven't heard any of that coming out of these so-called Christian revivals. Not once have I heard Christ and Him crucified. I've only heard me, 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 my experience, blah, blah, blah. And it's really sad. And it's a caricature of Christianity that our faith is simply about sitting down and linking arms and singing songs like Kumbaya. That's not what we believe. We're not here to make a scene or to be the flip side of some protest, uh, other side of the protest that we see in the in the, in the country? Yeah, I'm criticizing it. Because I have not seen or heard one drop of spiritual truth come out of it. It just seems to be a dog and pony show for individual attention or to make some political statement. Isn't it? And as I said, this stuff might be popular, but Christ and Him crucified for the sins of the world is still an unpopular message. Now, where is Jesus found? seems to be a phenomenon that Christians gather or worthy of news. I know there's not many of us here today, but that's because of the weather. Christians gather every week. We gather here every week. There's millions of Christians gathering around the world right now. Some are in third world countries persecuted for their faith. They're doing so in a cave. There's millions of Christians around the world that are gathering right now. We do it every single week and we come back and we focus on the exact same message. Christ and Him crucified for the sins of the world. This is where the believer meets with God. Not just in the building, but in this truth. In this truth, this spiritual truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world because of what He did on the cross. This is the thing that quenches the thirsty soul that's parched with guilt. This is where Jesus meets with us in the sixth hour with the guilty soul, not the self-righteous. Jesus meets with the one who is often confused and worried, maybe even angry, downright angry with God for something that they are going through. Fearful of Him. Thirsty for peace. Thirsty for righteousness. Broken, tired, cognizant of their sin with that deep spiritual thirst for the water of life. That's where Jesus meets with the believer. And the law and the Gospel and the words of Christ that never change. 
We come not to draw God down to us for some kind of spiritual moving experience. We come here and see that Jesus draws us to Him. Just like He did with the woman at the well. And He does so that we might never go thirsty in all of the sixth hours of our life when we are parched with guilt. Or even at the hour of our death. Jesus draws us to Himself that we might know that our souls are not a sun-baked, dried-up ditch or well. But because we have the water of life, because we have the law and the Gospel, because we have the words of our Savior Jesus, His Word, our souls are a spring of living water welling up in us into eternal life. Amen. That's all there is for today. There isn't any more for this podcast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, you might consider subscribing to the podcast and you will get content four times weekly in your favorite podcast app with no further effort. Additionally, you might consider sharing it with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app you're listening to right now. Let me know if you can't find it or if you just want to say hello by emailing me at john.kirk at stmarkpemidji.org. Share God's Word and share the light of the world. I also want to take this opportunity to invite you to church with us. Each and every week, we have two church services in Bemidji, Minnesota at 2220 Ann Street on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. Additionally, we have a completely free cup of coffee that comes with a complimentary Bible study at 9.15 a.m. Each and every Bible study is led by a certified and college-educated minister. Or maybe you live in Walker, Minnesota. On the second and fourth Monday of every month, we also have church services there at 1100 Minnesota Avenue West at 7 p.m. Come as you are, and I hope to see you soon. If you have more questions or you want more information about our ministry, check out our website at www.stmarkbemidji.org. Have a blessed rest of your day.